The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. The title of today's lesson is Righteousness Revealed. Righteousness Revealed. And really the goal or the object of the lesson today is to recognize our standing before a righteous God. Now many of us are saved and by the grace of God he has revealed to us exactly what our standing is. That we are unrighteous before him and because we are unrighteous we are in desperate need of his grace. However, I think even as a believer uh, it's good to be reminded of these things. It's good for our own humility as a believer, if for no other reason, that we're reminded of just how unrighteous uh, we were, and that is only by the grace of God that uh, we're here this morning, right, and that we can come before his presence. So, so praise God for that. But also the Apostle Paul, uh, God impressing upon his heart to write um, the book of Romans, was led to uh, uh, expound on, on, uh, on, on these uh, truths, and, and the main truth being, um, how is um, man, how, how are Gentiles, how are Jews justified before God? And so that's what we're going to discuss today. It was important enough for God to put in the scriptures. It's important, I think, enough for us to, to study what, uh, what God had to say through Paul. All right, so uh, let's pray, and then we'll look at uh, Romans chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 18 and read through verse 32. I'm going to read that to you, but let's pray. Father, we just pray that you'd uh, take the study that you laid upon uh, my heart today and that you just, uh, your word is intended for each one of us. And we just pray that you would have your work in, in each one of our hearts and that you would help us to have a, a greater appreciation for Jesus Christ and our salvation in, in, in him. As well as, Lord, help us to see the, the desperate need of the lost to uh, their need to receive you as Savior and to be saved for the the harsh consequences and penalty of their sins. So help us to have a heart for the lost and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, uh, so let's look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. The Bible says here, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So ungodliness towards God and unrighteousness towards men. The Bible goes on to say in verse 18, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, or in them and to them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without Excuse. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creepy things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 25, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. 
Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. Verse 27, And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly or indecent, and receiving in themselves that recompense or punishment of their error, which was meet, which was necessary to show the Gentiles and the world, really, right? The folly of idolatry. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to attain God in their knowledge, God gave them up, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, or empty vein, spiritually bankrupt mind, to do those things which are not convenient, not fit, not becoming for a human being, made in the image of God, to do. Verse 29, Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers. There's a whole blacklist here of the sins of the Gentiles. Uh, Verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. And I would take this opportunity, teenagers, you notice being disobedient to parents is one of the one of the great sins on here. So Christian teenager, it's not fit for you as a child of God to be disobedient to your parents, right? This is not the mark of a Christian, but the mark of an unbeliever, right? Okay. All right. Um, Verse 31. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection implacable, which is unforgiving and unmerciful, easily offended and unforgiving. Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So I know we don't have points on your listening sheet this morning, but there is a a note, a place to take notes in your bulletin. But the first point I want to address uh, this morning is mankind's condemnation before the righteous God. Now, this is a judgment already predetermined. This is a fixed judgment, right? This is a sure judgment, you might say. But in order to recognize our standing before the righteous God, we must understand that we stand condemned before God and without hope apart from Him. The primary theme of Romans is the righteousness of God. And the main doctrine Paul was trying to teach and clarify was the doctrine of justification. If people, and that includes not only Jews but Gentiles, all of mankind, are unrighteous in the eyes of God, which they are, which Paul uses this Roman epistle to show us and show the Romans beyond any doubt, how then are unrighteous people justified before a righteous God? That's a tough question, isn't it? <laughs> well, John Gill said in regards to Romans and our justification before God, that is the book of Romans, our justification before God, the chief design of this epistle is to set in a clear light the doctrine of justification, showing against the Gentiles that it is not by the light of nature or conscience, that moral conscience that God gives all man and works done in obedience to that conscience, and against the Jews that it was not by the law of Moses and obeying the deeds of that. And these are my comments here. Notwithstanding the Jews having a superior written revelation, which they had been favored with, that the Gentiles 
were not. So the Jews had even not only been given by God his law written upon their conscience, written upon their heart, they had been given the moral law. So they were, you might say, if it's possible, that they were even that much more accountable to God. But certainly the Gentiles had no excuse. Uh, Gil goes on to say, which Paul clearly evinces, or shows in a clear manner, by observing the sinful and wretched estate, both of the Jews and the Gentiles, but that is by the righteousness of Christ imputed, that means charged to the account of, attributed to us on his behalf, through the grace of God and received by faith, the effects of which are peace, if you know Christ, you know this is true, right? The effects of which are peace and joy in the soul and holiness in the life and conversation or behavior. Paul gives an account of the justified ones are they that, as they are not without sin, which he illustrates by his own experience and case, and yet possessed of various privileges as freedom from condemnation, the blessing of adoption, and a right to the heavenly inheritance. We have much to praise God for, much to be thankful here this morning. All right, so that was chapter 1, and we're going to come back to that. But in chapter 3, Paul culminates chapters 1 and 2. You might say he kind of brings them to a conclusion, brings them to a head, whereas chapter 1 is talking about the justification of the Gentiles by works, and in fact showing that they had, uh, that their works were very corrupt. And the Jews in chapter 2, that they could not, live up to the requirements of the law. They could not fulfill what the law required. So Paul here in chapter 3 leaves no doubt that all men are found guilty before God, being justified not by works, but by grace alone. And, of course, the means of that is the gospel. And Paul in chapter 1, in verses 16 and 17 there, I'm not going to read that right now, but he touches upon the gospel for the first time there in the book of Romans. But let's look right now at Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24. And what I like to do is kind of, this is what I like to do is expeditionally kind of dissect these verses (laughs) and take them apart. And let's see exactly what God is saying here. And again, this is Paul bringing all this together in chapter 3, showing that all men, all men are unrighteous before God. And in desperate need of his grace. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, and this is speaking specifically not of the ceremonial law or the law of nature or any other law, but the moral law of God. The moral law of God as it appears throughout the entire word of God. Particularly given to the Jews, that is true and undeniable. Um, which every man is accountable to God to observe not just the Jews, and every man has transgressed. Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 17, there is none good but one, that is God. There are no men that are absolutely and perfectly good but God. The Bible is on to say here, it saith to them, so now we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. So again, specifically the Jews, however, all men are under the law. We are all under the obligation to obey God's moral law. Because all men disobey God's moral law, we are all condemned by it and deserving of punishment. The law gives us knowledge of what sin is, accusing, convicting, 
and charging us with sin. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that, or in other words, in order that, that this is the purpose of the law, the Bible goes on to say, every mouth may be stopped. Every mouth may be stopped. <laughs> you ever meet someone that maybe that's not possible? <laughs> you can get their mouth to stop? Well, spiritually speaking, all of our mouths are stopped before God by the law. <clears throat> this is the silence of conviction of a convicted sinner. Our mouths are stopped from glorifying in ourselves our own self-merit and in our, um, in our righteous work and stop from complaining against the righteousness or against the righteous judgment of God, which we rightly deserve. The Bible goes on to say, and all, and all the world may become guilty, that is, be compelled to acknowledge themselves guilty before God. So Jews and Gentiles, all men are universally guilty before God and will be judged to be sooner or later. We will all meet God. The Bible says we will all bow before him. We will all acknowledge the sovereignty of God. The Jews, having not only the law of nature written in their conscience, but the written law of God are chargeable of those things the law accuses them. The Gentiles have the law of nature written on their conscience. In other words, the moral law of God is inscribed upon our hearts. Going all the way back to Adam, the first man, right? God's moral law was inscribed on his heart, though he chose to, without a sinful nature, of course, to sin against God. So the Gentiles have the law of nature written on their consciences, which sufficiently... In God's eyes, right? Who is just? Who is fair, right? Who is righteous? Who is holy? Which sufficiently convicts and condemns us, or condemns them, right? For their sin. All right. So continuing on, the verse 20 here. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, these are the works done in obedience to the law. Any good work, right? Obeying the Law, the moral law of our conscience, so obeying for the Jews the, the written moral law of God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh or no man be justified in his sight. So no man can or will be made righteous in a legal sense, sense which can never be done by an imperfect obedience to the law. This is why we cannot be justified, because we cannot... Uh, perfectly keep the laws, not Gentile, not Jew. No one can perfectly keep God's law except for the God-man himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only kept the law, but suffered the wrath of God on the cross to redeem us or pardon us from the curse of the law. All right. So, being justified in his sight, we talked about that. Men may be justified in their own sight, right? In their own self-deception. They might be justified, and maybe even in the sight of others, but not in the sight of God. 
So you can fool yourself, you can fool others, but you cannot fool God, who sees all, the all-knowing and all-seeing God. The Bible goes on to say here, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law revealing to us that we are a transgressor and guilty of our sin, liable to condemnation and the second death or spiritual death. Therefore, we can never hope for an hope for and expect justification by the law, can we? Verse 21, uh, but now the righteousness of God, the righteousness that justifies someone before God and is of God, without the law is manifested. It's made known. The law pronounces us guilty. The gospel pardons us. So in the law, there is nothing but death. In the gospel, there is pardon, there is forgiveness, there is liberty, right? All right. Okay, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Um, oh, sorry, I got to back up here. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. So man's justification before God is only revealed in the gospel of Christ not by the law and the deeds of the law. And the Bible goes on to say here in verse 21, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the justifying righteousness of Christ was foretold, right, by many prophecies throughout the Old Testament. And uh, we can think of, probably you can, I'm sure you can think of many verses, but for example, Psalm 1610, testifying of Christ's burial and his, his death, burial, and resurrection. All right, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, of Jesus Christ. So faith is the means, it's not the object, but the means to receive righteousness from God through Jesus Christ, the object of, the object of our faith, trusting in the sufficiency of his righteousness for the satisfaction of our sin. Renouncing our own righteousness and glorifying in his righteousness. The Bible goes on to say here, unto all and upon all them that believe, all men, who sincerely believe in Christ alone for salvation, as opposed to the ignorant and unrighteous beliefs and philosophies of the Gentiles and their wise philosophers, of whom they boasted. Nor in the self-righteous belief of the Jews, keeping the law. For there is no difference. There is no prejudice. There is no preference with God to choose one man over another, and I thank God for that personally. <laughs> Gentile, Jew, rich, poor, moral, or immoral. Jesus' righteousness is also equally applied to one man as to another. Therefore, one man is as much justified by his righteousness in the sight of God as another. Verse 23, for all have sinned. And that is a very sobering, humbling thought. For all have sinned. Does any man not sin? Raise your hand. Because <laughs> you wag your finger in the face of God, right? You oppose God. What God says here in Scripture. In this respect, there is no difference among men. Each of us has chosen to sin against God without exception. The Bible goes on to say here, For all have sinned and come up and come short of 
the glory or approbation or approval of God. The consequence of our sin is that we have come up short, having lost all strength and ability in ourselves to please God. Therefore, we need a righteousness that is not our own if we are going to be justified in His presence and well-pleasing in His sight, as well as to possess the ability to glorify Him and enjoy the glory of His presence now and forever, throughout all eternity. All right, verse 24. So we're in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. And this will be the last verse we look at before we turn back to Romans chapter 1. But verse 24, being justified freely. And that word freely means gratuitously. Gratuitously. When you do something gratuitously, are you required to do that? No. It's by, you might say, you're good gracious, right? By your graciousness. And so are we justified freely in Christ by God's graciousness. So, without merit, in other words, excluding all consideration of anything in man as the cause or condition of his justification. Being justified freely by his grace, again, the good favor of God, and is also just as unmerited. It's God's prerogative, you might say. Justification is a free gift to us that emanates from the heart of God. From His love for us. That's the source of it. It is all of God and none of us. The Bible is on to say here, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Well, what redemption means is deliverance affected by the payment of a ransom. And that payment or deliverance was from our sins by whom? By the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the meritorious cause of our justification, satisfying the law and justice of God, which had to be satisfied. God is a just God, is he not? God never overlooks, overlooks his justice to satisfy his love. But this is the remarkable thing in the redemption of Jesus Christ, that God was fully satisfied. His love, his justice, his wrath, it's quite an amazing thing. Only God could, could come up with a plan such as that to redeem all of mankind. So, Christ is the meritorious cause of our justification, satisfying the law and justice of God and appeasing the wrath of God by Christ's death as payment for our sins, thereby delivering us from the power and punishment of sin. So, kind of backing up here and going back to chapter 1, we're trying to get back on track for our study, but I thought it would be good to show you where all this is um, heading to. But so Paul here in, uh, in Romans and specifically here in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, but we're looking at chapter 1. In order to show and explain the righteousness of God, Paul begins with mankind's unrighteousness. So again, beginning with the Gentiles in chapter 1 and the Jews in chapter 2. So throughout chapter 1, as we 
study the scriptures here, God, um, um, Paul is talking about Gentiles. All right. So until a person acknowledges that they are a sinner, that they are depraved, that they cannot, that means through and through, uh, totally corrupted by nature, by choice, and there's nothing that a person can do in and of themselves to appease God. Until a person acknowledges that they are a sinner, that they are depraved, totally depraved, they cannot recognize their need to be saved from the consequences of their sin, God's just condemnation and wrath upon them. Nor can they appreciate the holiness of God. If there is no such thing as sin, then there is no need of a Savior. People stand condemned before a holy and righteous God and must see their hopeless state apart from God's grace. Praise God, He showed that to I think most of us in this room this morning. He showed us our hopeless state apart from His grace. And He effectually worked in our heart and brought us to salvation in Him. All right, so, second point. Second point here. God makes mankind, or sorry, God gives mankind over to a reprobate mind. Reprobate mind. So here we're turning to our study here, Romans chapter 1 and verse 28. And we have talked about um, not only the the verses that we first read, 18 through 32, um, but we have talked about um, a couple, at least a couple of these verses in, in the teen class. So some of it will be review for them. So, though God gives all mankind the general revelation of his creation, of his graces, and of conscience, man suppresses and rejects God. Man rejects his existence, the attributes of his deity, his just judgment against sin, and even goes beyond that, creating his own God or God's. This idolatry is the ultimate insult to the sovereign God, and at some point, God gives us up. The Bible says that God gives us up to judicial hardness. And as I've told the teens, that's not for us to determine, that's for God to determine. We're just to share the gospel with all the lost. But there is a point, specifically in regards to the sin of idolatry, where God will give a person up. We find that's exactly what Paul says he had done with the Gentiles in his time. So, at some point, God gives us up to the hardness and desires of our own hearts to fulfill all the sinful lusts and desires of our hearts. Thus, idolatry inevitably leads to a multitude of sins. So, Paul describes the sins of the Gentiles in his day having been fully given up by God to their idolatry. So in verse 28, Romans chapter 1, verse 28, the Bible says, and even as they did not like to retain, to hold, that is, God in their knowledge, they did not like, care, or approve of the truth, of the knowledge God had revealed to them about himself, but preferred to make their own false gods and idols. So the Gentiles knew God, but knowing who God was and what he was like, rejected him. God gave them over, the Bible says. God justly withdrew his spirit from restraining the Gentiles from their sin because of their idolatry. And if you look at verse 18, God calls that 
ungodliness. That was their sin of ungodliness. Remember God said they were guilty, the Gentiles, of ungodliness and unrighteousness. So in verse 18, God pronounces wrath against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness was the first charge against the Gentiles. God now proceeds to demonstrate the proceeds to demonstrate the unrighteous of the the unrighteousness of the Gentiles. And the Bible says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind, and that unrighteousness is sins against men, right? So God proceeds to show the unrighteousness of the Gentiles after showing their what? Their ungodliness, right? The Bible says God gives them over to a reprobate mind. What's a reprobate mind? My mom, when she'd get mad at us, she'd say, you reprobates. Yeah. My mom was, she was good at that stuff. <laughs> Putting us in our place. All right, so what's a reprobate mind? This is sin running its natural course. God permitting it, right, to run its natural course. A vain, empty mind. Worthless, useless, good for nothing. I'm speaking of a spiritual sense. Spiritually depraved. Oh, they may be very, this may be a very smart person, very intelligent, very wise, right? In the ways of the world, but spiritually depraved. Void of all true judgment and knowledge. A godless mind. You notice who someone, someone may be really smart, but someone unsaved. When you start talking to them about moral issues or things of the Bible, they have no understanding, right? They don't. Any knowledge that they do have is all subjective, right? So this is a a godless mind, void of all true judgment and knowledge, incapable of approving what is truly good or of disapproving that which is evil. And Pastor talked about it recently, but he mentioned moral relativism and moral pluralism. In effect, there is no objective standard of morality to each his own, right? So those mean different things. Essentially, it comes down to there is no objective truth of morality, no objective standard. A mind that has lost all consciousness of what is right and what is wrong. Ephesians 4.19 says, who being past feeling, that is past conviction, past guilt, past concern for their sin as a consequence of judicial hardness. Not that God is making people sin. He's simply withdrawing the the restraint of the Holy Spirit and letting them have their way. The Bible says, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, which is all manner of lust, to work all uncleanness, that is to commit every unclean lust, with greediness, insatiableness, Never satisfied with sinning, but always craving more sinful lusts and pleasures. When men's consciences become seared, there are no limits to their sins. This was the character of the Gentiles. i got to finish here in a minute. But A reprobate mind is a mind that has rejected God, therefore is rejected by God. And all godly men, or as John MacArthur says, the mind that finds God worthless becomes worthless itself. It is debauched, deceived, and deserving only of God's divine wrath. And those aren't my words, but John MacArthur's. Let's just finish this point. 
We'll go up to verse 29. All that remains in the world of moral uprightness among men, all that remains of morality in society is from God, who restrains and sets limits to our perversity. And thank God that he does. Notice the sin of idolatry causes not only spiritual blindness, but moral blindness in men's relationships with each other. So that men commit sin against each other. This is the just punishment of God. It is the effect of God removing his spirit from restraining the sinful lusts of men that have rejected him and permitting him to go hog wild and roll around in his sin. Uh, finishing up, like I said, verse 28, the very end here, the Bible says to do those things which are not convenient. Those things that are directly contrary and against the light and law of nature. Acts and actions that are against man's own best interests and not becoming are fit for the honor of human nature. Of human nature to do. Things which the brute beasts themselves who are destitute of reason, a moral conscience, and who are not made in the image of God, don't even do. So this is very interesting. I'm sad that you won't be able to continue uh, with us, but uh, hopefully you got something out of it. God spoke to your heart, and uh, let's just pray. Praise God now. we got to take a break here. All right, Father, we just thank you for teaching us the Scriptures through your Spirit. We are so thankful that you do restrain sin in the world. This would be, society would not be able to stand if you did not restrain sin. It would be absolutely chaos. And so we thank you that you save us and we thank you that you restrain sin. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us your righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from hell, giving us saving faith, giving us a daily relationship with you and that sure and blessed hope we have to see you again in heaven. We have so much to be thankful for. Help us not to look down upon those who, as your word says, are still unrighteous. We were just like them. Let's pray for them and help us to do that. And just pray that you would save many souls before you return, Lord. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.